Filthy Henry and the Impossible Victim, Chapter 19. Shelley had started to run through the underground castle as soon as they had reached the end of the spiral staircase. Once again, Filthy Henry had instructed her not to use her fairy vision, saying that it would only help Balor and Brez find her while she searched for Miak. Despite telling him a dozen times about how that made no sense if the Shadow Orb was doing its job, he still maintained she listened to him. More to the point, the fairy detective wanted to make sure that she dropped the mud pie in her hands exactly one minute after they separated, which was what she had done. He did not look back at her as they had split up. Filthy Henry headed towards the throne room to speak with the Dark Gods, while Shelley went in search of Miak to prove that the fairy detective's crazy theory was actually correct. After exactly two minutes, Shelley had stopped running along and dropped the mud pie to the ground and watched with amazement at what happened. Like some strangely coloured jelly, the mud started to wobble. Ripples moved across its surface. With each ripple, a ball of mud shot out from the mass and began to roll away along the floor, seemingly with a mind of its own. No two balls took the same path, and as each one was produced, the original mud pile grew smaller and smaller. Eventually there was only one little ball left on the ground in front of her. It didn't move at all, and gave Shelley the impression that it was actually waiting for her to say something. Mm, hi, she said with a wave of her hand. The little ball bounced up and down on the spot, but did not shoot off down the corridor like its bowling ball brothers and spherical sisters. It seemed to be looking at Shelley. So, uh, Henry said you lot would be a distraction. Which is great, she said to the ball, and feeling in no way foolish for talking to an animated lump of dirt. But what if you help me find Miak, and we let the other ones be a distraction? How does that sound? The ball seemed to consider this for a few seconds before it bounced up into the air and twirled around. It circled around her feet several times. Well, I'll take that as a yes, Shelley said. Great. You roll off down that way ahead of me, and if you see something you think is Miak, come back and get me. Also keep an eye out for anything that I might want to avoid. That would be a big help. Without so much as a splutter, the mud ball rolled away down the corridor, followed quickly by Shelley, who hoped beyond hope that Filthy Henry knew what the hell he was doing. Rez marched through the underkeep, with a purpose and a desire to burn some maggots. In particular, the maggot that the half-breed clearly had some attachment to. He was torn between the idea of just burning her with magical fire upon finding her, or bringing her back to the throne room and killing her in front of Filthy Henry. The latter had the added appeal that it could actually upset the half-breed, which was not an opportunity to pass up lightly. As the Dark God made his way along the corridors of the underkeep, he focused on the mental image of where Shelley was. She appeared as a little dark dot on the internal map that Balor allowed all the gods to carry within them. Like a little lost puppy, Shelley seemed to drift through the underkeep. Obviously the half-breed had not given her some hidden knowledge about the place, presumably because Filthy Henry himself had only set foot in it once before. Then, as unexpected as the first maggot standing up to a righteous beating from its betters, the little dot in Brez's head separated into a dozen dots. Each raced outwards down various hallways and corridors, and left one behind that, after a minute, picked the only other route open to it and carried on. Clever girl, Brez said, 
summoning a lightning bolt and lobbing it towards one of the soul lanterns on the wall beside him. Well, it seems the half-breed does have some tricks up his sleeve after all. Shamey decided to try and trick a god. Rez vanished in a cloud of thick, swirling dark smoke and left behind the smouldering remains of the soul lantern. Further into the keep, one of the mud balls was rolling along at a grand old speed. It kept to the walls as best it could in an attempt to avoid being noticed by anything that might notice things. All the while it watched, with whatever allowed it to watch, for any sign of meek or a holding cell. Once one of the balls spotted something, all of them would instantly know about it, but so far nothing had been reported back to the muddy hive mind. As it sloshed along in a roundabout fashion, it crossed over to the opposite side of the hallway and kept to the shadows. There was a loud bang, a rush of air, and dark smoke filled the hallway for a second. None of this disturbed the mud ball, as it had no real concept of being disturbed, so it kept rolling by and carried on unseen. Again? She has to be here somewhere, Rez shouted at the empty hallway. The mud ball rounded a corner and alerted the others to the strangeness that had just happened. Then it kept searching for Miak. Ballower was clearly not in a good mood. And you did not have to be a detective, fairy or other genre to figure that out. Filthy Henry had come to this conclusion the moment that the grotesque god had wiggled his fingers and caused several thick, dark, smoky tendrils to appear from the tips. Tendrils that had rapidly wrapped themselves around Filthy Henry and hoisted him twenty feet up in the air, each of them coiled around his body, like snakes that had just never learned to give up the cigarettes, and kept him firmly in place. Below the skitters had gathered, pointing and hissing at Filthy Henry. Balor had moved about on his throne so that the great scab-covered eyelid, which sat on top of his head, seemed to be pointed at Filthy Henry. Now, Balor said, there are a few ways this can go. Care to take a guess at some of them? It was at moments such as this that Filthy Henry often wondered, regardless of the life-or-death situation he would be in, if all the bad guys he encountered had gone to the same school of criminal stupidity. They always seemed to enjoy talking about how they nearly had pulled off the perfect crime. Common sense surely dictated that the correct moment to admit you were the mastermind behind recent dastardly events was when said events had been 100% successful. So successful that there was no option or possibility of it being stopped at the last minute by a heroic and dashingly handsome fairy detective. Just admit that you're the Muppets behind this whole thing. We can all go on pretending you're beings of great power. No harm done, Filthy Henry said, as he strained against his smoky restraints. Ah, you see, that would be a lovely fairy tale ending, wouldn't it? Balor said. But it's not meant to be. For starters, the only reason you're being kept alive is because I don't want to risk alerting your father to your timely demise. It might make him get up off his arse and come down here, and I can't have that. This surprised Filthy Henry a little. The matter of his parentage seemed to be one of the worst kept secrets in the world, fairy or otherwise. Nobody ever came right out and said to his face who his father was, but there did not seem to be a fairy who wasn't in the know. So what then? the fairy detective said. You're going to just talk me to death? Balor chuckled, a sound that the skitters emulated in a hideous fashion. Ever the halfway day, you abomination. See the joyous thing is this. I don't actually have to kill you. Once Dian Kecht is taken care of, history will be rewritten 
and your dear old dad won't have ever had the chance to meet with whatever female maggot that spawned you. Filthy Henry gave serious consideration to launching a fireball at Balor, even though it would have been like a wasp sting trying to defuse a nuclear warhead mid-flight. Nobody spoke ill of his mother, a woman who the fairy detective had gone to great lengths to protect over the years, even going so far as to never telling people his real name. This was to stop the more radical elements in the fairy world trying to find her, or her relatives, so they could mete out a magical vigilante-style justice. He started to assess the situation, trying to figure out a way to escape, but when it came down to it, he was very much the David in this David and Goliath story. Possibly not even David, more like one of the headlights on David's head. Magic was going to be the best means of escape, but only if used correctly. I bet you don't speak ill of the dead, you big idiot, Filthy Henry said. Balor leaned forward and gripped the arms of his throne with his clawed hands. Oh, that one you'll pay for. You see, time is something you mortals always have trouble wrapping your heads around. Your primitive little brains can only comprehend what'll happen, and not what should happen. I think I will teach you a lesson in pain, Filthy Henry. Once Brez get back with your little female friend, we'll torture her right in front of you. Then when you beg and plead with us, we'll make you kill her. How does that sound? Your last act in this life before you're rightly removed from history will be to kill the only creature that ever seemed to befriend you. The chorus of hissing laughter picked up as some of the skitters began to jump around the room like excited children. Filthy Henry stared helplessly down at Balor and tried his best to think of a plan. Once before, he had managed to tap into some hidden magical reserves that practically superpowered him long enough to beat a vampire to a bloody pulp, all without causing any of the usual magical harm to his own body. How filthy Henry had managed was a mystery to himself, because try as he might, nothing was happening now when he needed a bit of extra power the most. The last time it had kicked in, almost like a reflex, was when Shelley had been killed. Afterwards, Filthy Henry had tried a number of times to tap into the hidden source of magic again, failing each time. It appeared that this previously unknown pool of energy required a very powerful emotional event to be activated. Shelley dying had definitely met that criteria last time. Filthy Henry doubted very much that she would be okay with his escape plan, requiring her to die just so he could use his mysterious backup magic. He looked at the gathered skitters directly beneath his feet. The creatures were roughly the size of sofa cushions and from this height would, in theory, be able to break a fall. It's time for the worst plan B ever then, Filthy Henry thought to himself. Ah, oh, would you just get over yourself, you ugly sack of crap, he said to Balor. I mean, come on. Boo bloody who? You lost and got sent underground. So what? You want somebody to go off and get your mummy? Come and give you a big old hug and kiss the owie. Balor seemingly did the impossible at that moment and ignored physics completely. He rose up from the throne, his grotesquely oversized eye wobbling back and forth with every movement, and stepped down from the platform. Some of the skitters rearranged themselves in a hideous, hairy black circle around the god, like a strange sort of medical donut. If medical donuts were semi-sentient and reminded you of hissing mutant spiders, Balor walked over and tilted his head back, so that, had he normal eyes, 
they would have looked directly at Filthy Henry. I am a god, Balor snarled. A god! Not one of your usual fairy creatures. Once I strode the earth, and all before me trembled with fear. Yeah, fear having to look at you most likely, Filthy Henry said. The insult landed, but there was no result. Fear and respect. Worshipped I was. Worshipped so that I would spare the miserable maggots that walk these lands of mine, rather than help them with every one of their insignificant problems. Too much rain, not enough rain. Too little crops, too many bugs. Pathetic. Yet you, a maggot with a little magic in his blood, think to fool me. Right then, Filthy Henry felt a pang of fear. The fear that Plan B was going to be as much of a washout as Plan A had turned out to be. Fear that, for once, he was not going to be able to pull some amazing feat of Con Archistry to save the day. I'm not going to turn my dreadful gaze on you, filthy maggot, Valor said, a sneer revealing just how badly he needed some dental hygiene. So you could what? Pull off some miracle spell and escape? Fat chance. No, I have plans for you. Plans I've already told you. But instead, I think we'll modify them. Once Brez proves to be useful and finds that female of yours, I'll gaze upon her and you get to watch. Leave her out of this, Filthy Henry shouted with genuine fear in his voice. Valor ignored the fairy detective and strolled back over to his throne, while around the room the skitters continued to hiss and laugh. Trent sat in the corner of the room and rocked back and forth. Outside in the hallway, two of the giant spider people stood guard. Something about the hairy balls sent shivers along the shivers of his spine. Not to mention the hissing. Always with the hissing. The deer had seemingly taken everything in his stride about their current situation. They both had been brought underground to stand before a disgusting mutant monster on a golden throne in a secret buried castle. Yet the deer gave no indication that it was phasing him. He simply leaned against the wall with his eyes closed and arms crossed. Bloody whack job, Trent thought. Doesn't it bother you? Trent asked the deer. A flicker of one eyelid caused Trent to instantly regret speaking out loud. The assassin stared at Trent before closing his eye again. What? Nothing, Trent said, shifting on the cold stone floor. Just thinking is all. In the centre of the floor there appeared a giant cloud of black smoke that evaporated quickly to reveal Brez. Before recent events, this would have scared seven shades of something out of Trent. Now it was sadly becoming passé. He looked up at the god. We can go? he asked. Brez glared down at the Garda. You can go when I kill you and stick your soul into a little lantern someplace, the dark god said. I've need of you. Both of you. The deer opened both his eyes and slowly stood up straight. The woman, the one that Filthy Henry works with. I need you to find her and bring her back to the throne room. What about my payment? The deer asked. Brez's head whipped around faster than any neck should have allowed whipping to occur. He stared at the assassin before nodding his head once. I'll give it to you, dear. You are unique. God of Killers will be your title and position once all this is done. We will make it, 
you have always existed in the role. Now get out there and find her. The dark god gestured towards the deer and cast a spell. A purple web enveloped the man, contracted, and both vanished from sight. You as well, Rez said as he turned back to Trent. I need more ground covered. Something that stupid half-breed has done is making tracking her down here difficult. Trent had no time to plead his case or argue against this course of action. Rez had cast the spell. It attached to Trent in an instant. Then the pain of a thousand needles pushing into his eyes came as the guard was ripped apart on the atomic level and scattered to the winds. Shelley had followed the little ball of mud for the past ten minutes. Acutely aware that any moment something in this horrible place was going to find her. The whole shadow warp thing was not sitting entirely well with her either. If Dagda always knew where people were in his realm, then how could a glass ball made by a non-god really hide a person? Plus, would it have been too much to ask that the orb also made a person vanish from eyesight? They had endless supplies of magic for crying out loud, but only one form of invisibility was allowed per item. It was like a tenuous plot device from a poorly written fantasy novel. A few feet ahead of her, the little mud ball had rolled around the corner, only to return rapidly and stop beside the wall. Shelley instantly flattened herself against the stonework as well and edged towards the ball, careful to make as little noise as possible. When she reached the corner, Shelley looked down at her muddy companion. Danger? The ball remained still. Miak? A little hop served as her answer. But then the next question was why had the ball returned and stopped so far back? There's a skitter guarding him, isn't there? She whispered. If it had been possible, the mud ball would have given a slow nod. Instead, all it managed was to jump with a little less enthusiasm than before. Crap, Shetty hissed. Instinctively, she flicked on her fairy vision and started to look around for anything that could help her. Being human meant that her ability to do anything magical had been seriously curtailed into the non-existent spectrum of things. Even when Filthy Henry had given her the ability to use fairy vision, it meant she relied on him as her magical benefactor, like an even grumpier and stranger version of Miss Havisham. But all fairy vision did was allow her to see the magic in the world, not to do anything useful like conjure up fireballs to destroy spider-like monsters of evil. Casting her gaze around the area, Shelley noticed that the orbs on the walls were somewhat different when viewed using magical sight. Instead of just a glowing sphere of light, they seemed to be almost like glass containers with little bits floating around inside. She stepped up to the nearest one and looked closely at it. A screaming skull rushed towards her from within the orb and hit the edge of the sphere, like a fish hitting the side of the bowl. It startled her, and Shelley only just managed not to let out a scream. Once her heart rate had settled back down, Shelley stepped up to the orb once more and peered inside. There seemed to be around twenty little skulls contained within, swirling around like flakes in a horrible version of a snow globe. As Shelley looked in, the skulls appeared to notice her and floated closer to her side of the orb. This close to the light source, she was able to hear a sound coming from within, one that had been easily dismissed earlier as just the magic light doing its thing. All the skulls lined up and started to move their mouths in unison, screaming and shouting inside the container at the same time. They want to be free, Shelley said, stepping back. Each of the skulls stopped screaming and bobbed up and down in agreement. 
With a healthy dose of caution, Shelley reached out and grabbed the orb with both her hands. It lifted off the wall with ease, leaving behind a little depression in the stonework. She held the orb at eye level and looked in once more. I need your help, she said to the assembled tiny skulls. If I smash this, I'm guessing you'll be free, but I need you to do whatever you can to the skitter before you go, wherever you should have gone. The skulls rearranged themselves into a crude symbol that looked very much like a thumbs up. Great, she said. Shelley edged back along the wall and peered around the corner. Roughly ten feet away from her was an archway that led to a cell room of some sort. Just outside the arch, standing at attention with a big spear in its long-fingered hand, was a skitter. Without waiting to get brave, Shelley stepped out from her hiding spot and held the orb high above her head. Get lost, you creepy little freak, or else, she said. The skitter leaned its body to the right and then seemed to laugh. It lowered the spear, aiming the pointy end forward, and started to march towards her in a menacing manner. I warned you, Shelley said. With all her strength, she threw the orb down on the stone ground between herself and the skitter. It smashed into a thousand pieces, releasing the little skulls trapped within. As they rose into the air, each one increased in size, growing to roughly the same dimensions as a normal adult head. The skitter stopped its dreadful march forward and pointed the tip of its spear at the glowing skulls that were now spiralling over the remains of the orb. Last chance, Shelley said to the hairy black blob of a creature. The skitter seemed to decide that it had not made any bad choices that day and now was a good time to make a big one. It jabbed the spear at the nearest skull and missed it by an inch. In turn, the skulls all opened their mouths wide and descended on the skitter like colourful party streamers with a slightly horrific theme. It was a brutally beautiful thing to watch. Within a matter of seconds, the skitter was covered in a blue glowing light as the skulls swarmed around the creature and left trails in their wake. The disturbing hissing was replaced by a strange sort of cry as the skulls moved faster and faster. Then there was a pop of air and all the skulls dispersed, regrouped and drifted over to float around Shelley's head, where the skitter had once been. It was only a pile of dust. Oh my, Shelley said. Thank you, but you could have just knocked them out or something. It was hard to tell, since they did not make any noise, but the skulls gave the impression they found her last statement funny. Um, hello? Is someone not an evil dark god, hell-bent on rewriting time itself out there? The questions had come from the other side of the archway. Shelley walked over and peered inside. The room was fitted out with the most uncomfortable-looking jail cells she'd ever seen. Six in total. Only one was occupied by a man that Shelley had met before. Miak? she asked, walking over to his cell door. Ah, uh, pleased to meet you, whoever you are. Now be so good as to get me the hell out of here, would you? Trent really did not like the two skitters that were following him. They never spoke, at least not to him. Only hissed. Sometimes it was hard to tell if they were even looking at him. All they did was lope along behind while the Garda tried to find a woman in an underground castle populated by magical beings and crazy monsters. A scenario that would never have entered Trent's head merely a week before. So far, there had been no sign of Shelley in any of the nooks or crannies around the place. But onwards they searched. Twice, Trent had spotted a little ball of mud rolling around of its own accord. 
the first time he had paid no attention to it. Then when the second one to pass had rolled uphill, Trent figured they were worth noticing. Even the skitters seemed unsure of how to treat the little balls. It was highly possible that they were just this crazy castle's version of rats. I think we should follow that, the guard said as another ball rolled out in front of them. I mean, it's a ball that seems to be pottering about down here. That has to be suspicious, right? Neither skitter replied. My thoughts exactly, he said, and started to run after the mud ball. Filthy Henry, The Impossible Victim, is book two of the Filthy Henry series by Derek Power. This completely free audiobook version was narrated by Niall Milton. Other Filthy Henry books are available to buy on Amazon Kindle. <laughs>